It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from DenverStiffs.com, Adam Mottes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mottes from DenverStiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also, before we get started, i got to tell you about Stiff Side Out. I know that's what you guys want to hear right now following this uh, this tough loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. But seriously, we're throwing a Stiff Side Out party, and uh, we're going to have a good time. Whether, you know, Nuggets still have a bit of hope, you know, dangling by a thread, if you will, for, the, for a playoff push. And that game against the Clippers on April 7th will be a big one. So um, that's a week from Saturday. We're going to be at the Celtic, 1400 Market Street, which is our sponsor of the show. And also our home base for Stiffs Night Out. But in the likely event that the Nuggets are not going to be um, playoff bound, it'll still be a cathartic moment for Nuggets fans to get together, have some drinks on a Saturday, a nice, warm, sunny Saturday in Denver, and just kind of lament the season, talk about it, um, have good Nuggets conversations about where we go from here. I'm going to be there. I uh, got some friends, you know, going, um, and it'll be great. So I want to talk to everybody there. I want to get the temperature of Nuggets fans. And even if we're not in the playoffs, it's just a good opportunity for us to kind of touch base one last time before we head into the darkness of the off season. Five, six months of no Nuggets talk, no Nuggets basketball. So Stiffs Night Out, April 7th, Saturday. It's a week from Saturday at the Celtic on Market Street. The Nuggets are taking on – they're in Los Angeles to take on the Clippers. And we'll be watching the game. Super Mascot Rocky will be there. Nuggets dancers, Katie Winjay. We'll, we'll have prize giveaways and everything else. All right, let's jump right into this. This episode of the show is going to be my notes on the loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, it, you know, for half a game it was very fun. For a second half uh, of the game, it was like utterly miserable, as much fun as maybe going to the dentist and getting a root canal. It was rough. The Nuggets, this was a game where the Nuggets had an opportunity to, uh, you know, to steal a game. Like they played so well in that first half, they had an opportunity to do something. Um, but unfortunately, they turned a nine point advantage or an eight point advantage into a blowout loss rather quickly. All right, let's get started. I thought Denver had great energy to start the game. I hate this. I, you guys know me, uh, and you don't even know me. You know, you don't even know how much I, I hate that. I've talked about how much I hate this, like, oh, energy. Some nights we have energy and we win, and some nights we don't and we lost. Well, yeah, I think those things are connected. Um, you know, when a team, and I'm going to get to this, but when a team is playing, well, of course there's energy. Well, to start the game, Will Barton was absolutely on fire. Which, you know, in hindsight, Barton had 20 points at the half. And 
I don't know if the Nuggets ran great offense for – in fact, I know that they did not run great offense in that first half, but Barton kind of bailed them out with some tough shot making. And there was some moments of, of good – I thought the first like three or four minutes of the game, the Nuggets did a good job of, of kind of getting a nice rhythm established on the offense, and the ball was popping a little bit. And Barton was knocking down shots, so, so that was huge. But the energy was high. I thought the Nuggets were focused and into it. The Nuggets were up 13-6 to with Jamal Murray's monster dunk, which could have been the highlight of the game. It actually wasn't even the best dunk of the game, it turns out. But it was a huge dunk, a big-time play, and Denver, the Denver bench was up. It, just, it was a feel-good moment where you thought, okay, this Denver team is focused and, and coming after it tonight. Um, but Denver went away from that rather quickly. The first thing that happened was I thought the refs really called this game tight. It's tighter than I would have liked. We, you wanted to see Embiid play. You wanted to see Jokic play. And both guys getting into foul trouble I think took a little bit of the wind out of the sail. Um, I think the referees are going to have to adjust the way they call they referee Joel Embiid, similar to the way they had to adjust how you, you refereed Shaquille O'Neal. And it goes both ways a little bit. You know, I think Embiid, as his career progresses, he's going to pick up a lot of touch fouls just because he's so big and strong, and he's so much stronger than everybody else that just a little nudge is going to, um, you know, send guys flying. But at the same time, there was a play where he's posting up Trey Lyles, and, and I think in the second quarter, and he's Trey Lyles kind of has his hands on his back, which you're not supposed to have, but Embiid is just shoving him with his full weight, backing him up deep into the paint. Well, here's the thing. If, if a defensive player tried to just run through an offensive player, it'd be a foul. When an, when an offensive player does it, you know, the refs allow it. And I think that's it's something that was similar that happened to Shaq. He's so big and strong that you couldn't move him off of the block, so you had to beat him to the block. But if, if you beat him to the block and then he pushes you off of the block, then, then what can you do defensively? I think a little bit of that happens with Embiid, where he just kind of puts his butt into the defender and moves them like four feet out of the position, and then the foul gets called on the defender. Um, so there's going to have to be some adjustment there. But it goes both ways for Embiid because, as I said, he's so big, he get he picks up some of these like ticky-tack fouls just because he's so strong. But the game got called tight. And when Philadelphia started to make a run, um, Saric was on fire to open the game. Will Barton was on fire, and Saric was on fire. And Denver, as soon as they lost just the tiniest bit of momentum, I thought the entire game changed, and it actually changed for the rest of the game in this regard. The ball stopped moving. I thought this game in the first half, outside of those first three or four minutes, is defined by how much the Nuggets went to isolation basketball. And it's really been the story. You know, the Nuggets' offense has been pretty good um, since Millsap's return statistically. You look at the numbers, and it's it's not like, like it – scorching like it was in the month of February, but it's been good. 111 offensive rating or something like that. Not bad. Um, I think that's because the Nuggets have so many talented offensive players, and no matter what you do, they're going to be able to score, and they're going to find these moments. But it's not the type of offense that the Nuggets – it's just not reaching their potential. You're getting 80% of a great offense by having them try to exploit mismatches and isolation so much. And in this game, Nuggets really, really went to the well so many times trying to get a mismatch in the post, primarily in the post. Although, if you think of that first quarter, you remember the play. Barton gets Embiid switched out onto him. Now, first of all, Embiid's one of the best, if not the best defenders in all of the NBA, inside, outside, everything. It's not a mismatch when Will Barton gets Embiid switched out onto him. For one, Embiid is 7-3 with an enormous reach. Will Barton has to beat him by two steps just to just to beat him because that's how much cushion Embiid is able to give a guy. So the Nuggets all clear out for whatever reason and are like, oh, yeah, go to work. And, and Barton throws up an air ball. And that was kind of the last of a long stretch of, of isolation plays that the Nuggets ran. And I just thought it halted 
uh, all momentum from that starting group and kind of ruined what, what could have been a nice um, springboard for the Nuggets in this game. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Mason Plumley started this game really, really off. This was a down game for him. Um, you know, he was fumbling the basketball. I mean, he bobbled the ball I don't know how many times uh, in the opening, like, five, six minutes of play for him. And he kept fouling. I've talked about this a lot. Plumley, you know, he's a – I had an article on com today. I, I encourage you to read. I talked solely about the defense of the Nuggets over this last couple weeks and give some video clips of, of examples of, of – things the Nuggets have consistently done and consistently done poorly, uh, you know, really in the Michael Malone era, but but really this year and last year. And one of the things that I talked about is that when you don't have proper execution and guys don't know what they're supposed to do, hustle becomes more valuable. I think basketball is 50% hustle. Our defense is 50% hustle and 50% execution. Well, if your execution is off, that means that means, you know, obviously that hustle part becomes so important. I think with Plumley, I think he hustles really hard. He's one of the best hustlers on the entire team. I don't think his ex- defensive execution is that great. And one of the things that he does that really kills the Nuggets is he fouls. And he he, he makes really, really bad fouls. He um, was a minus 11 in 13 minutes tonight. <clears throat> he bit on Embiid's pump fake three times. <laughs> Embiid, I don't know if he took a three in this game, but he f- shot fake threes like 10 times. And, and Plumlee just kept falling for it for whatever reason. And then he gave a couple of those fouls that are, you know, they feel like in the moment like hustle plays, but really they just put the other team in the bonus. And in the NBA level, you know, when you foul a jump shooter to prevent a shot, they just send them to the line. So a lot of bad fouls in this one, I thought. And I, I just thought this was a really bad game um, from him. Just a little bit of an off one for him. Hot take. I actually think Jokic guards Embiid really, really, really well. Now Embiid is I think Embiid's the best center in the NBA. I think that this is the closest that conversation will be unless Embiid gets hurt, but I think going forward that's the this is the closest that conversation will be for the next decade. I think Embiid his upside, he's the only player I, I think right now um up and coming player I should say like under 25 26 year old player whose upside is like a top 5 player of all time. Now I don't know if Embiid's going to get there. But Embiid at just whatever he is, 24 years old, is absolutely dominant just for being on the court because his defensive instincts and speed and talent um, are so great that him being on the court completely changes the way opponents attack. And that was true of the Nuggets tonight. The Nuggets were scared to go into the paint for, for large parts of it. Offensively, Embiid, I, th- I still think Embiid's really raw, though I thought his shot selection tonight was way better than it was last time I watched him play a couple you know weeks or months ago. And... Um, he just did so so he's really really good offensively and especially defensively he's great offensively he's good with a ton of potential but he's a he's a footwork guy I think once Embiid realizes he can just like drop step on Jokic then it's all over but he but he doesn't really do that a whole lot he tries not to foul uh, Jokic was able to draw a couple fouls on him that way but um, when he tries to use moves 
Nikola Jokic reads moves. Like that, that's what Jokic does. He's a finesse player. So he, I thought t- this whole game, he really did a great job of anticipating Embiid's um, footwork in the post and just making things tough for him. Now Embiid still scored on him. I think going back and watching the highlights, I think Embiid only scored on him actually twice in the post. Um, he went like two for four, and then he had another two or three times where another player would come in and foul him. Like Torrey Craig had a really ridiculous reach and foul that cost the Nuggets a stop. But I think. I thought Jokic, and I thought this the other time they played, Jokic just did a really good job of kind of uh, uh, of staying in front of him and anticipating his moves. Embiid is going to eventually will learn that some guys you need finesse, some guys you need power. Against Jokic, he needs power, but he kept going to finesse tonight, and Jokic, I thought, was, was right in stride with him for the most part. There were some small ball minutes in the second with Jokic, and this was huge because, first of all, I've been begging for this for so long and it never happens. Immediately when they went to small ball, so Jokic and like Chandler and uh, Lyles at the 3-4, immediately Jokic drew two fouls on Embiid, and that was huge for the Nuggets because it gave Embiid three fouls and sent him to the bench. And honestly, this game might have been more of a massacre. Embiid was so good that when he was on the court, you know, the Nuggets were fighting an uphill battle. But sending him to the bench, I thought, was the reason Denver was able to create some separation in that second quarter. And Jokic is responsible for that because he kept getting him into foul trouble. And even in that third quarter, he did a good job of sort of I, – I thought you know, Jokic got caught with his hand in the cookie jar one time, and I kept thinking don't reach because I know Embiid likes to draw that foul. But actually, as the game wore on, you realized Jokic was actually trying to sucker him into that, and he got caught one time. But he did it four or five times where he kind of acts like he's slapping at the ball only to pull his hand out once Embiid goes into his shooting motion. So he was kind of suckering him into something, and it actually worked. Uh, other than that one time, it worked pretty well. But unfortunately... The Nuggets did go up by eight points to end that quarter, but there were so many opportunities once Embiid went to the bench, so many opportunities for the Nuggets to, to really create some separation, like 14 points, 15, 16 points. But there were so many stupid possessions in this game, so many head-scratching plays offensively. You know, a guy dribbles down and inexplicably takes an off-the-dribble pull-up, full you know, full-court dribble pull-up three-pointer with no passes. And you think, if you're going to allow Jokic to play with a stretch four, You've got to maximize those positions. You've got to play through him in those minutes. It's frustrating watching the Nuggets either only run through Jokic through ISO post-ups, which is, you know, this has kind of been the team's response since Millsap has returned is, oh, we'll get the ball to Millsap in the post. Now we'll get the ball to Jokic in the post. And you almost alternate between back and forth between that nonstop. And it, 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 you know, I want to pull my hair out. But when they do get these small ball lineups, you think, okay, well, just just play the style you know. Like run these DHOs and pick and rolls. And, and when they only do it 50% of the time, it's, it's just so frustrating. So there was a lot of deliberate post-ups and ISOs in situations where the Nuggets were set up to run their offense and they just couldn't do it. Another funny thing, um, the Nuggets keep getting out-rebounded. They were out-rebounded by 17 in this game. Now, the Nuggets, through all of last season and through, you know, two-thirds of this season, were one of the best, you know, top three rebounding teams in all of the NBA. Month of February, even, a decent rebounding team. Somehow, you, you, when the Nuggets start go big, they become worse rebounding, and it's a strange phenomenon. I don't, I don't quite understand it. I think part of this has to do with Paul Millsap's left hand. I put, a, I put a video out on Twitter of him in that Miami game where he went up for three straight rebounds, where he sh- clearly should have just used his left hand to corral the ball, but he went up with his right hand and like tried to reach across his body and contort himself so he didn't have to use his left. And I do, and then tonight there was a couple of those where it's like, man, you could just tell he's. 
he's he's doing something awkward because he's afraid of using his left in that situation. But the, for what, but I don't think that's the only thing. I think there's other things involved here. But Denver just getting out rebounded is is really this heavily is really really bizarre, and it's happened. I think like more than half of the game since Millsap has returned, the Nuggets have been out rebounded. Uh, very very strange development. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now we get into the bad part of the game, and this is the no the Nuggets come into the second half up eight, and the and remember the third quarter. I know the Nuggets are a third quarter team, but here's what you have to know about Philadelphia: they have the single best five man unit in the entire NBA, and it is their starting unit. That unit is just absolutely explosive, and even and even though Denver's starting unit is really really good as well, um, Philly's is is on a whole different level, and. You know, Denver outplayed them in that first half. They out the starting unit outplayed Philadelphia's starting unit, but that doesn't. You know, Denver outplayed them by like two or three or four points, something like that. In the second half, you have to be aware. It's like going up against uh, the Golden State's death lineup. Anytime they're on the court, you have to be hyper focused, hyper aware, and, and and ready. The wheels completely came off for Denver in in that third quarter, and and I thought Denver had no clue what they were supposed to do to get back on the saddle. And this is, you know, when I watched it the first time, it hurt. You know, it was, it was painful to watch. When I watched it the second time, it was far worse. And this is rarely the case. Usually when I rewatch a game and really try to dive into it, it's like, okay, well, I see what happened here. Unlucky here. Bad decision there. Whatever. This one was just an all-out. I mean, this was a stop-the-fight type of bleeding from the start of the third quarter really to the end of the game. It was that bad for Denver. And, you know, after the game, of course, Malone went back to the energy and effort thing. I'm so sick of this. I, I You know, I'm so sick of every time a team has a bad run, it's bad energy and effort. Oh, the first half, I thought the energy was good. Second half is bad. Well, look, man, you know, these these things are always connected. And when a team doesn't know what they're supposed to do, of course the energy and effort is not there. If you've ever been given an assignment, whether it's a school assignment or maybe a job assignment, and you had no idea what you were supposed to do, it doesn't matter how much enthusiasm you have or energy or effort. If you don't know what you what it is that you're supposed to do you're going to look like somebody who's not trying and and I thought with Denver tonight they got hit in the mouth and they did they didn't respond it wasn't I didn't think that it was that they all just like folded and quit it's just that they kept dribbling down and thinking okay how do we steady the ship we steady it by going to an isolation play and that's literally what happened they just every single time down court on the offensive end it was dump the ball into one guy everybody stand around and watch and and that is to me by design it's hard to have energy and effort in those moments when you're when everything is so scripted and you know Malone called an early timeout, and I get why the, the the Philadelphia was going on a run, and he gave it like two two minutes or three minutes or something like that, and then he calls a timeout. Well, out of that timeout, and here's the issue. <clears throat> out of that timeout, they called an isolation set. Doesn't work, and the bleeding stops again. It's it's one of those things with, to me, and, and this is where I have, I, I believe, sort of a philosophical difference in, in, of opinion is the way you get this Nuggets team back on track is never, ever, 
ever to call a deliberate stagnant possession and especially one of these ones where the Nuggets run that takes like 14 minutes just to develop where there's like four weak side screens and then either Jokic or Millsap or, or Wilson Chandler comes across um, that flex cut and tries to post up. Like to me, these just never work and that's not who the Nuggets are. Even if you score a bucket on that play, that it, it doesn't really lead itself, lend itself to like building momentum. It's, a, it's not, it doesn't get the, the Nuggets in, in a rhythm. It's just kind of, okay, well, hopefully somebody get us a bucket here to stop the bleeding. So I, it really, really bugs me actually. Um, because I just, we've watched it so many times and it never works. So that first time out, um, the Nuggets call timeout and I don't know the numbers, but Denver's up three, I think at the moment they call another timeout, maybe four minutes later and they're down like 12 because of course that timeout and that strategy didn't work. And then again, out of that timeout, the same thing, um, you know, you get another kind of disjointed, everybody kind of looking around. The one guy who didn't look disjointed, and, you know, I thought the Nuggets got rattled. Jokic, Murray, they all looked rattled. Even Barton looked rattled. Wilson looked rattled. The one guy who didn't was Millsap, and I think part of that is he's been here before. I think that's like the 80% of it is he's been in every situation in the NBA. When you're a 13-year vet, you just you just know – Oh yeah, we I've given up big runs. I've been in back against the wall. I have nothing working. How do I get through it? And he just kind of put his head down and kept grinding. And I think that's you know, if anything if the Nuggets learn anything from tonight, I hope that's it is just you know, sometimes nothing's going your way and you don't know and you don't know what to do and this and that. And you just got to kind of put your head down and just keep running uphill. And Millsap did that. But I think another reason that Millsap was so successful in that third quarter was that you know, this style of play sort of lends itself to his skill set. I mean, this the Nuggets just kept ISOing him, basically. And he had Ilyasova as a good mismatch, and he was really doing a good job of getting to the foul line. Um, and and so he got to the foul line, but he only went 6 for 11, by the way. It was it was really, really, really tough. And it stopped, and that, as much as anything, stopped the bleeding. You know, Nuggets went from up 8 to up 3 to down like 10, and then to only down three again, and here's where the biggest moment I thought of the game happened. There's three minutes left in the third quarter. The Nuggets have just blown all the momentum, but they've kind of stopped the bleeding a little bit, and they're down three. Down three. Think about this. Three minutes to go in the third. I know it felt so much worse. Three minutes to go in the third. The Nuggets are only down three. Jokic playing defense on, I believe, Saric does a great job of using his body to stay in front and reaches for the ball and gets a hand on the ball. The slow, the slow motion replay so clearly shows that Jokic does not foul Saric, but just strips the ball. Well, they call a foul, and it was the fourth on Jokic. And here's why it's done. This is, by the way, this is the breaks. It's not no conspiracy or anything like that. They were calling the game tight nonstop, so you know you're going to get some bad calls whenever whenever a game gets tightened like that. But that foul that sent Jokic to the bench, I think, was actually the nail in the coffin for the Nuggets for a couple of reasons. One, when Jokic isn't on the floor, this team just isn't very good. That's the harsh facts of it. I know we blame the bench and, oh, man, look at how bad the bench is. But really, the truth is when Jokic plays with the bench, they're good. When he plays with the starters, they're good. When he doesn't play with the starters, they're okay. When he doesn't play with the bench, they're terrible. And that's it almost doesn't matter which guys you throw out there. It's just how it works. Um, well, Jokic picks up that foul, and I think – because Malone stayed the final couple minutes of that quarter with Millsap and a bunch of wings um, to try to get some energy to the game. If that's Jokic and a bunch of wings, I think the Nuggets stop the bleeding and regain some of the momentum, maybe even take a lead into the fourth quarter. Instead, that foul gets called. Saric goes to the line to get two free throws, so they're up five. And from that moment on, 
the 76ers went on a 48 to 30 run they outscored the nuggets by 18 points in the final 15 minutes so you know and again i I don't want to say that the nuggets would have won had that foul not been called but i just think it would have at least maybe given an opportunity for the nuggets to kind of uh stabilize things and 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 maybe try to make a run at it again Jokic was doing very well against Embiid less lineups I thought he'd Amir Johnson had some good plays against him but but for the most part I think Jokic was comfortable and if (laughs) we never get to see Jokic in small ball anymore which is crushing I think for everybody um, but we probably would have got some a little bit in that fourth quarter so I wanted to end by just kind of explaining my position I know everybody on Twitter today I had I, I had like literally a thousand mentions um, over the course of this game and, and in the hour following it. And, you know, a lot of people obviously talking about the Fire Malone stuff and wanting my take on it. And here's here's my thing. I'm going. There's going to be a lot of empty space <laughs> in the next. Sadly, it's crazy. The Nuggets have eight games, and, and if they lose this next one, I, I really do think that if they lose to Toronto tomorrow night, which I fully expect, I, I don't think that – I think the Nuggets are done. And statistically, it's not true, but, I, but, I, but to me, I, I, I think that – even if they won the final rest of the games, I don't. I think it's like 50-50 that they'd make the playoffs, and I think it's like almost impossible for them to win every game after that. So um, there's going to be plenty of time left in this regular season where there's nothing else to talk about except for where do the Nuggets go from here. So um, be patient. One way or another, I will get to. The, uh, I, I will get to all of these perspectives about. Do the Nuggets, you know, where does the blame lie? What what needs to happen between now and next year? But, you know, you look at it, I do understand and I empathize with Nuggets fans. I, I empathize because I'm one of you guys. This has been an incredibly frustrating and, in my opinion, um, it largely, I don't, this is a bit incendiary, but largely unacceptable season for the Nuggets. And I know, you know, setbacks happen, disappointments happen, but... I do think part of part of what fans are so frustrated by is um, there seems to be a level of like con- uh, of being content with with how this season has happened and oh you know it's all a step in the process to me I I really don't look at it that way you know Nuggets have 40 wins they had 40 wins last year but a couple of things that I think factor into that is one there's like six teams in the Western Conference who are actively trying to lose and have a worse record than the worst team in the NBA last year so. Portland has a better record. Minnesota has a better record. Uh, Houston has a better record. New Orleans, like every team has a better record. Every team in the, in the playoff hunt has a better record than they did last year, except for Golden State. And then all of the teams at the bottom of the Western Conference have worse records. So to me, did the Nuggets improve or did they just win the exact same amount of games? And then on top of that, you look at what the Nuggets did from December 15th on you know their winning pace was basically the same so there's not in my opinion a discernible difference this season and between the nuggets this season and last season in, in in very important ways and and so when i analyze the nuggets this season i'm i'm one of the ones that says let's slow down about the nuggets improve this year because even if their record is going to show as i anticipate a three or four game improvement in the win column I don't think that necessarily is a three or four game improvement for what the Nuggets were for two thirds of the season last year. Um, I think this team is largely unchanged, um, and, and if they actually are changed, maybe changed for the worse in, in many ways since December fifteenth last year. So, I say all that as a sort of a teaser to say that I will get to all of your burning questions about what the Nuggets need to do going forward, from my opinion and perspective. But I, there's other things to talk about at the moment, and there'll be plenty of time 
to discuss the other things here in the coming days, maybe weeks if it really extends itself. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Don't forget, Stiff's Night Out, April 7th. Come hang out with me. Come watch the Nuggets casually while you drink beers. There is a Rockies game like short, like an hour and a half after Stiff's Night Out will end. Um, so great opportunity. What I'm going to do is go down to Stiff's Night Out with some friends, drink some beers, watch the game, and then go eat some dinner and then go watch the Rockies play. And it almost feel like a passing of the torch from Nugget season to Rocket season. It'll be or Rocky season. So come, jump, come join me. Make it a part of your day, and uh, we'll have a good time. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back again tomorrow with a new episode. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.